Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces, Casino, and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and today I am going to continue uh, to share what I'm finding as I research this uh, concept of GTO, or Game Theory Optimal. And I'm sure out there it feels like I'm going on and on about this, and am I getting anywhere? I don't know. Uh, But really, you are only getting the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I am reading a lot. I'm listening to a ton of things. I'm watching a lot of videos. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And so uh, it's the journey that I'm on trying to, I guess, uh, get through all of the complexity of all of this and then hopefully uh, share with you the end result, the nuggets that I'm finding, uh, and hopefully to some, in some capacity, I guess I'm doing some of the hard work for all of us. Uh, but boy, it, it seems like it, it's very complicated, and it seems like you could land in a bunch of different places, but um, I'm trying to represent uh, accurately what I am hearing and seeing and watching and listening to, and um, and then share it with you and, and let you make your own decisions with that. So What I'm doing is I'm working through the absolute foundation, the absolute fundamentals of my game. Um, And so to me, this is the most critical part, and that's why I'm spending so much time on it. Obviously, when I got into this thing, I thought, I'm just going to figure this out right away. There'll be some clear-cut answers. All of the pros and the training sites are going to agree on what you should do. And so it's a matter of me just digesting and implementing. But what I found is it's much more complex, and I really need to figure out what is that foundation upon which I'm going to build my poker strategy. And I don't want to just rush through that. So that's why I'm taking the time to do this. Because once I figure that out, then I think it's a matter of really building on it. And I know there's been a couple of weeks where I felt like, okay, I've got to figure it out. And I've shared that with you guys. But I continue to research and and sort of iterate in my brain and in my research. And uh, I come up with different ideas and different suggestions. And I want to process those things and not just gloss over them because I don't want to walk through this process every year. Uh, So I'm trying to do this uh, one time and really do it in a way that allows me to build a, a strong foundation upon which I can build my strategy. So Uh, That's why it's sort of very convoluted going back and forth. I appreciate all of you who have taken the time to send me some great feedback um, positively and constructively. I think that's fantastic, Uh, but really encouraging at its core uh, that you're tracking with my journey. So I appreciate that that piece. So this week, uh, I had the opportunity to to get some more feedback from players. Uh, I listened to some more podcasts. I watched some more videos around this idea of GTO. And one of the most compelling things that I watched was the first part of a webinar that was done by Matt Berkey. Matt is one of the leaders of the Solve for Why Academy, just a genius. Uh, I've had him on the show before, done a full interview with him. I'd recommend going back and listening to that. Very interesting guy. But anyway, the webinar was called Cultivating Poker Intelligence. And um, it's about a three-hour long webinar. It was a pay-only webinar, so uh, you could only get this if you had access to his subscriptions, uh, which are quite uh, expensive. But Matt was actually gracious enough to give me access to this so that I could watch it to help, help me with my wrestling with GTO. And really the first 50 minutes of it, of this three-hour webinar, were really focused on GTO and where Matt stands on it. The rest of it is super interesting, and I'm going to watch it and share that with you uh, at a later time. But really, I wanted to focus on this GTO question. And 
you know, I, I thought about the combination of kind of Matt's ability to think and I guess the ridiculousness of his genius. My head was just spinning on this for several days and it's taken me two to three hours just to get through that 50 minutes of content. I had to keep pausing. I had to keep processing uh, just because Matt uh, thinks at such a great different level than I do. But my goal for today is to take all of that learning and try to reflect Matt's perspectives to you so that you can also value from it, even though uh, you know most of you are not going to have access to that content directly. And then when I'm done, I guess, summarizing that, I'll share a bit about what this means for me as I continue forging the foundation of my poker strategy. Uh, but before I get into that, just a couple of house cleaning things. Uh, first of all, if you are interested in any sort of training sessions, uh, and you're in the Minnesota area, I'm looking at putting something together. I've talked to a number of people about this. Uh, I don't believe that I'm equipped to really give you deep, deep coaching, deep, deep training, even though uh, I have talked to a few people about doing some of that. What these sessions would be would really me partnering with some of the folks you've heard on the podcast, including Matt Berkey, to get access to their premium content. And then we get together as a group of people, maybe 20, 30 of us, I don't know, we get together, I show you some of those videos that I have access to with permission from them, and then we chat about it. And I'm really excited about this because it gives us the opportunity to watch some premium content that's not available on YouTube and that sort of thing, but also then form a tribe of fellow players who are looking to grow our game together. So it starts to build the relationships, it starts to build um, a great strategy talk around that. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know. Uh, I'm formulating those things right now, uh, but it's helpful to have uh information on those who are directly interested so I can keep you in the loop. So uh, contact me through Twitter at Rec Poker, Facebook Rec Poker Group, or email stevefredland at gmail.com. And also, I want to remind you that uh, you know the content that I've been delivering here is all free, uh, but there are costs involved, especially as I start to formulate these, these partnerships with people, a lot of time involved, and that's all great. I'm willing to keep doing it. Uh, but if you're willing to encourage me with uh, some sort of support, that would be fantastic. We've got a few of you that have now uh, come along on patreon.com slash poker. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can just sort of say, hey, man, way to go. Keep it up. Uh, encourage uh, us to keep doing what we're doing here. And then finally, I want to thank Running Aces, who is our official sponsor. And this week has been a great uh, week for me at Running Aces. Actually, the last three weeks, uh, I've just locked up my third straight week as either first or second place in Player of the Week, which gets me some bonus cash and some bonus lammers. Um, I also won the $75 uh, bounty tournament where I picked up, I think, five or six $25 bounties in addition to the cash. Uh, I played the six max tournament. That didn't go so well. <laughs> I triple barrel bluffed a fair amount of my stack into one of our regular listeners and contributors, Jerry Kniff. And then I ended up giving Jerry the rest of my stack when I shoved preflop into his pocket aces. So uh, Jerry, congratulations. He went on to finish, I believe, uh, top five uh, in that tournament for a nice cash as well. And this weekend, Running Aces is having their their main event, the $500 Midwest Poker Classic. Uh, I'm, I'm not able to play it, but I know a lot of local heroes who will be there for sure. So thank you, Running Aces, for your support on the podcast. 
So let's get into my summary of Matt Berkey's thoughts from his webinar. And a lot of this is just bullet points that I made a note on. Uh, it would take uh, hours and hours and hours to really congeal this into a, into a narrative summary. So I'm going to just uh, share with you the bullet points that I made notes of, uh, and then I'll go on and talk a bit about what this means for me. In general, Matt Berkey is anti-GTO, or at least he's anti what people think it is. Uh, the term that he always uses is bullshitty. So uh, that's kind of Matt's term for that. He 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 sees some value in the concepts, but the way that GTO is used, he does not think that it is the breakthrough that is going to solve no limit hold'em. There's just too many uh, too many restrictions on what it can do. Um, so that's sort of the general summary. He seems to be very aligned with Charlie Carroll, who uh, I watched his YouTube video uh, called F. GTO. Um, and it's really about that as well. And and Charlie addresses GTO versus exploitative or exploitive play uh, there as well. So they seem to be pretty aligned and being kind of anti-GTO as the standard or as the emerging uh, solution to no limit hold'em. And basically, it's because the way that the the most of us are trying to understand GTO, that the the understanding, the, the concept is flawed, and therefore it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And Matt talked quite a bit about this hard divide, this line that's really forming between exploitative and GTO, and how those who are really GTO champions are putting exploitative play in a negative light. And you could argue that the same thing is happening with the exploitive players putting GTO in a negative light. And Matt is negative on parts of GTO, but he is trying to actually... Uh, bridge the gap and talk about the benefits of GTO as well and not just be negative on it. But he's pretty pretty firm in saying uh, that there's a lot of downsides of trying to play GTO uh, game theory optimal play. At the end of the day, GTO is just another name for Nash equilibrium. And that's kind of the problem is that, um, uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about Nash equilibriums, but when we just say GTO is Nash equilibrium or GTO is something bigger than that, uh, that's where we start to get a little bit fuzzy on the language. And I think that's where uh, Matt would say that uh, a lot of this starts to break down because people don't really understand what we're talking about when we talk about Nash equilibrium and we talk about balance and we talk about GTO. Uh, but with all of it, uh, one of the biggest downsides of this is that we have to assume that this is even attainable. So the concept of Nash equilibrium, and this is sort of my words, um, John Nash was a great uh, economist and mathematician. He was featured in the movie A Beautiful Mind. And his idea here is that um, eventually um, decision makers, in a game sort of situation, decision makers are going to come back, come down to a theory, uh, come down to a strategy that is perfectly optimal, that is unexploitable. And that's the Nash equilibrium. So, uh, for example, um, if you're playing rock, paper, scissors, and the person that you're playing against is is throwing paper way too often. Well, you should be exploiting that, and you should be playing uh, and throwing scissors more often because scissors cuts paper. So uh, you should be doing that and adjusting to their exploitability. Well, they should then recognize that you're throwing scissors too often, and they start throwing rock more often. And you adjust and you start realizing that's what's happening. You start throwing paper more often. Then they start throwing scissors more often. And the Nash equilibrium says that as you continue to adjust to optimize your strategy against your player, eventually you reach this situation 
where you both play optimally. You both play at equilibrium. And for rock, paper, scissors, the Nash equilibrium would be that you are each doing rock, paper, and scissors one third of the time, and you're doing it completely random. Uh, so there is no discernible pattern there. You're balancing it that way. And so that is the Nash equilibrium. And so you're playing to uh, be unexploitable because your opponent is good enough to recognize your exploits. Now, uh, I guess, you know, just a little bit of an aside for that, if, you're, if your opponent doesn't recognize those things, then you should be playing exploitable because you will win more often. Like if they're throwing rock 50% of the time and you start throwing paper 50% of the time and capitalizing on that and continuing to beat them and they don't adjust, well, you shouldn't go play GTO. You shouldn't start doing rock, paper, and scissors equally a third of the time in random if they continue to throw theirs 50% of the time and you could take advantage of that. So that's where sort of the rub is. You're leaving value on the table by making sure you're not exploitable, you're not exploiting your opponent in a situation where they wouldn't be adjusting. They wouldn't get you to Nash equilibrium. So that's the, the difference there. So going back to Matt's stuff, he would say that in practice, this whole GTO is unattainable without artificial intelligence. And even with artificial intelligence, it is highly improbable to actually solve that. And so there's a couple of examples that he brought up. Uh, Liberatus was an artificial intelligence um, uh, machine built at Carnegie Mellon University specifically for poker. Uh, and also there's a documentary on Netflix called Alpha Go. And both of these are using artificial intelligence to try to solve poker. Uh, and, and neither of them um, beat humans because that neither of them, they, they beat the humans. <clears throat> they beat the humans, but the result was they didn't beat the humans because they achieved GTO or Nash equilibrium. Instead, they were able to obtain the ability to learn faster than their opponents so they could play at the highest EV play. So because they're artificial intelligence, because they have these huge massive databases of situations, every situation that they encountered, they could go into their database and they could look and see what is the optimal uh, highest EV play based on historical results in this situation, and then they could fold, call, raise, uh, etc. But it was based on their their ability to process the highest EV play, not the uh, the attainment of some mystical uh, GTO sort of approach. Uh, and so that was sort of interesting. I haven't seen the documentary myself. I definitely want to. But that was Matt's conclusion from those two situations that, yes, the AI beat the player, but but not because of GTO or Nash equilibrium being balanced, but because of their ability to process all of these historical situations and, and pull up the highest EV play. And those are very different uh, rationale and reasons for those victories. And Matt went on, he talked about balance uh, being another thing that we sometimes don't think about correctly. He says there really is, by, that balance is really a binary thing. There either is balance or there isn't balance. That there really isn't this, you know, almost balanced thing. And he used the analogy of a seesaw. Either two people are on a seesaw and it's perfectly balanced, or it's not. It's imbalanced, or it's balanced. And that's kind of it. And so, 
Um, this idea of being almost balanced isn't really a concept that Matt would agree with. Um, now, he went on to say that um, Nash equilibrium and balance should not be ignored. This is where he sort of bridges the gap. He says, but we need to reframe our understanding of the GTO style. He says, it's not applicable the way that some would argue. Playing GTO does not mean playing balanced. He would say it is unattainable. But with all of that, he would go on to say that solvers are still critical to our study, and using solvers to help us understand the game and good decision-making is still imperative. But, um, but since balance is unattainable by humans, and since GTO is not the same thing as balance, the results are that we are all playing exploitatively. Even if you believe you are playing GTO, you are still playing exploitatively. So we should not view the GTO solve as a trek up a mountain with GTO at the summit, but instead we should think about a spectrum uh, from minimum exploitive play to maximum exploitive play, recognizing the need to incorporate balance. And uh, Matt tried to explain this, and so I, I didn't see a graphic, so I'm trying to create a graphic myself on this, but really you think of a spectrum, and on the, on the far left you have maximum exploitive play. Yes, I said maximum exploitive play, but negative maximum exploitive play. And on the far right, you have positive maximum exploitive play. And then right in the middle, you have minimum exploitive play and what others would refer to as GTO. Uh, and so we have these two poles. We have negative maximum exploitive, where basically the, the situation there would be somebody who tries to lose 100% of the time. So they're maximal, they're playing maximally exploitive, but in a negative way. And then on the other side, you have maximum positive exploitive play, where you're trying to win 100% of the time. And, and then there's this point in the middle, which is the minimum exploitive play, or GTO, or what some would call balanced. And he said the bad players fall in the range between the negative maximum exploitive play and the minimum exploitive. And on the positive side, we have minimum exploitive play to maximum positive exploitive play. These are our positive players. And he says, it's dependent upon your opponent. We can't play maximum positive exploitive play unless our opponent is playing maximum negative exploitive play. And he says, this is where machine learning AI outperforms humans. So uh, in a sense, you sort of need to match your opponents. So where they are on the spectrum, you sort of mirror them on the other side. So if they are slightly negative exploitive, then we should be slightly positive exploitive. So these are kind of my words. I'm trying to kind of, he didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I thought it was kind of an interesting concept that triggered a lot of other thoughts in my mind, which I'm going to be sketching out uh, at, a, at a later date. But he says, you know, GTO is this minimum exploitive play, which minimizes our propensity to mistakes. Um, but it also is saying we're not taking advantage of our opponents who are maybe playing negative exploitively, especially those that are significantly negative um, exploitively. And then he talked a little bit about uh, a little bit more uh, about balance. Um, and, and he didn't get into a lot of this, so I was a little bit confused, but he says balance is sort of this weird thing that's unattainable. What does it really mean? I mean, I think, you know, he was probably referring to the GTO thing where, okay, to be balanced in this case, I would raise 27% of the time, call 36% of the time and, and fold the rest. Uh, but he says balance is really unattainable. Um, he says it's, it's actually like many people's perspective of God. We feel it exists. We feel its presence. 
but it's impossible to actually capture and to explain and to apply. So um, he, he sees this whole GTO balance Nash thing as such a ethereal, uh, unattainable sort of thing, even though the concepts are are helpful, uh, just is not achievable. Um, um, even from an AI perspective is kind of where he he lands on that. Um, he also then, and, and Charlie Carell talked about this too, he said that GTO and really focusing on GTO and the mathematics of it, he said can really beat out the creativity of the abstract thinkers. And he goes on to talk about in history, it's always been the abstract thinker that has seen the breakthrough, uh, that sees the world as limitless. And then uh, and then once they have that vision, these right-brained folks turn it over to the left-brained thinkers to make it happen, to break it down and to implement. Um, and I think where he's going with this is that if we start with the, the um, I guess, the left-brained thinking people, we start with the Nash, we start with the GTO, we start with the, the balance. If we start with the mathematics of it, it really limits our creativity because we're so focused on the mathematical side. I think his point is we need to be creative and think about uh, playing uh, exploitively and using interesting lines and all those sort of things. And once we kind of figure it out that way, then we can turn it over and have people create systemic strategies from it. But we shouldn't start with the mathematics of it, I believe is his point. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, he would say that there's just way too many limitations to feel like GTO is the answer. So where Matt lands is now trying to map where everyone is on this spectrum of exploitive play and where, where do player profiles fall on this spectrum and what are the interactions of a minimum exploitive player and a maximum exploitive player and where are the counter strategies of each player on this spectrum? Uh, he, he used an example. He said, you know, a drunk strategy may be the optimal strategy uh, to go against a minimally exploitive GTO strategy. Um, that might be the optimal strategy to play just crazy, to not make any sense. Um, he also brought up the example of Gordon Veo versus Kui Win. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, that was kind of the heads-up battle in the World Series of Poker main event a few years ago. And Veo was really um, playing what seemed like a GTO strategy, but very unwilling to move off of his minimally exploitive strategy against Kui Win, who was obviously playing to exploit Veo and was very exploitable himself, uh, but, but Veo didn't adjust to that and ended up losing the main event. Kui was playing maximally exploitive, which Berkey suggests is the optimal approach, heads up for a finite period of time. So he would say when you're playing heads up, just for one specific heads up tournament, playing maximally exploitive is probably the optimal approach. But uh, in this case, Veo would continue to play minimally exploitive. Now, he said that if they played a long time heads up, he would expect that Veo would win in the long run because of his minimally exploitive strategy. But the problem is it's a finite period of time. It's a one-time shot. And he would argue that for that, the optimal strategy is maximally exploitive. So that was kind of an interesting take on that whole thing. Uh, and he did reiterate that language is so critically important to this that we just kind of throw out GTO, balance, Nash equilibrium is all the same thing and exploitive is, you know, just kind of a label that we throw out there. So uh, he would argue that we really need to know what we're talking about when we talk about those things. So uh, just a challenge to not just assume when somebody says GTO, they're all talking about the same thing. Um, 
So with that, that was kind of the end of that first section. Um, and then he's going to go on and talk more about this whole uh, player profile, pro, uh, player type, uh, IQ versus EQ, which is intelligence quotient versus emotional quotient, all of those things. So that's the rest of this webinar. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll give me uh, authorization to share that with you, but at least I'll get a chance to watch it. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, Matt's been very gracious in, in giving me access to some of these things, and hopefully uh, that will continue uh, going forward. Uh, so as I think about all of this stuff and what it means for me, it's it's really hard for me to summarize all of Matt's thoughts. And, and frankly, I'm still processing a lot. So what I've shared with you already is that what you're getting is my processing. So this is not a perfect end sort of presentation. Uh, you're wrestling right along with me and, and uh, hopefully tracking with where I'm going. But what this means for me, um, really starting to think about GTO as a Nash equilibrium rather than some mystical poker solving technique. So if I think about that, I think about Nash equilibriums as really the optimal strategy to prevent losing. Um, if, if everyone is playing perfectly um, or if everyone is optimally adjusting to others, and I, I already shared the example of the rock, paper, scissors thing. Um, you know, I think Nash equilibrium is just, hey, if we all keep adjusting, eventually here's the optimal strategy that we should play. So in those situations, it might make sense. Um, so the way that this would, uh, the analogy, I guess, to poker, uh, another example would be, say, if someone raises 100% of the pots and then they fold 100% to any three bet, eventually people are going to adjust and everyone starts three betting. So the initial player may adjust to stop raising every pot, or they may adjust to start calling the three bets, or they may start four betting themselves, or the other players at the table might adjust, and they might start four betting when people three bet this person. So this would lead to adjustments in how often people three bet the person. So eventually, if everyone is paying attention, if everyone keeps adjusting correctly, a Nash equilibrium will be reached on how much raising, three betting, four betting, etc. is happening. And so GTO is really about already accounting for that, playing my default strategy as if everyone is going to be playing perfect, as if everyone is going to recognize um, that, that somebody's three betting too often or that nobody's going to be three betting too often. So if I go in with that strategy, I'm assuming everybody's playing optimally and I'm going to play with that strategy. Um, but what I've come to realize through Matt Berkey and Charlie Carell or Carol and others is that if I start by playing using the Nash equilibrium approach, I may miss out on all sorts of exploitative opportunities and value when they exist. And the less experienced my competition, the more opportunities are going to be there that I'm going to be leaving on the table. And even more, if I'm playing Nash or GTO or balanced or whatever you want to say, so that I'm not exploitable myself, that might be overkill because the less experienced player that I'm at the table with is not really noticing that I'm playing exploitable. They may not notice that I raise too much or limp too much or c-bet too much or three-bet certain players too much or hero call too much or whatever it might be. So I'm then in a situation where I'm protecting myself against exploitation that isn't even happening. And at the same time, I'm missing out on exploiting others when there's a ton of value in doing so. Now, I, I guess I still find value in Nash equilibriums. I'm a math guy. I have a huge respect for John Nash from A Beautiful Mind, and there's definitely something there. Um, 
as in life, there, there's a huge value in making decisions that best protect your interests. Uh, to make sure that you can't be exploited. So uh, that might be putting fraud protection on your credit cards or locking your house or wearing your seatbelt. And those are good foundations. But to maximize your expected value of life, you need to spend money from time to time. You need to leave your house. You need to drive your car. You need to exploit life for your enjoyment, even if it puts you at risk of life exploiting you. So... I do think a fundamental understanding of GTO and being balanced are important, but my strategy is going to merge that understanding with a couple of other things. I want to look at GTO decision-making and combine that with research that shows what maximum value plays are in certain situations. So that could include opening hand ranges, post-flop C-bets, whatever that might be. So I want to look at people's research on the maximum value plays. I also want to consider approaches that compare the expected value gained from playing exploitably with the expected value lost from doing so. So I want to really kind of think about that. Like like if I play in a way that's not GTO, how much value would I expect to get from that play versus how much value would I expect to lose from becoming exploitable? And obviously that's, that's dependent on the players that I'm playing with and those sorts of things. But I want to think about that as part of building my strategy. I also want to consider my own personal comfort and confidence. Uh, For example, how comfortable am I playing out of position or three betting or four betting? And and some of this are maybe things that I need to recognize that I need to overcome because I may be leaving value on the table. Um, But I need to incorporate those into my strategy now. It's where I am now. Um, until I'm able to learn tools to overcome maybe what are potentially shortcomings. And finally, uh, one of the things that I I feel like I do pretty well, but I don't think people get it, um, so I need to figure out a way to explain this to people, is to translate expected value from a chip EV decision of the specific hand or the situation to a tournament EV um, decision decision. framework. So I've done a fair amount of analysis on this on the side. I haven't shared this publicly at all, but it's showing that when you make decisions based on the number of chips from an EV perspective, usually that's going to be the same as a tournament-based EV decision, but it isn't always the case. This is really about utility theory or ICM, uh, as it's sometimes called in tournament poker, And I'm going to share some of this as we go forward, but here's a quick example. Um, Say I'm on the bubble of a tournament, and there's only one stack that's bigger than mine and a whole bunch of short stacks, and this big stack shoves all in on the flop. And I have the nut flush draw and one over for what I think is 12 outs. So I figure it's pretty much a coin flip based on where I think she is at. Um, There's 20,000 chips in the middle, And she shoves for my entire stack, which is 100,000 chips. So I would be having to put in 100,000 to win 120,000. So I need a little under 50% equity, which I believe I have. Now, from a chip EV perspective, over the long run, I should always make this call. Because I'm going to win at some and lose at some. But from a chip EV perspective, I would come out ahead. But when I think about this from an ICM or a utility or a tournament EV perspective, I believe it's a fold. And I can prove that through ICM calculations that show that actually the the highest tournament EV is a fold. 
So this is one very specific example happening on the bubble, but this concept does have an impact on my overall strategy where the whole downside is worse than the upside is better a mentality that happens in tournament poker. It's a, it's a, it's a curve versus a cash situation where it's a linear decision. And I don't think people really get this in tournaments. So people will say things like, Oh, I had to call. Uh, well, first of all, you never have to call. Um, uh, you can, you can always decide not to call, but, uh, yeah. And, and there are situations where I've seen it from a cash perspective, you would have to call, uh, if you want to be profitable in that spot in the long run, but from a tournament perspective, it's a fairly easy fold because of the ICM implications. Um, people don't really understand that. So I think that's an area that I also will be incorporating into my overall strategy. So GTO, uh, historical EV research that's done by several players, um, considering a value gain versus value lost from playing exploitively, my own personal comfort and confidence, and then using tournament EV rather than chip EV. So those are, I guess, how I'm going to be formulating my overall strategy. So what's next? <laughs> uh, I'm going to revisit uh, my preflop opening ranges by position, combining all of those things that I just mentioned. And so my plan right now is to come back next week with at least a start on the opening hand ranges that I'm deciding on uh, by position. Uh, but of course, uh, as I'm in contact with all of these great players and training sites, uh, if I stumble upon some other amazing content related to building my core strategy, uh, I will share that next week instead uh, and just kind of continue the rabbit trail down there. But as I close out, um, sorry that this episode is just me talking and I know that can get old. They listen to one person talking the whole time, uh, but thanks for sticking with it. But reach out to me if, um, if there's anything in here that you're, that you want me to explore further, but also reach out to me if some of that in-person training that I talked about sounds good to you. Again, I'm thinking like monthly gatherings for about three hours, uh, offer them in three different locations. The format would be exclusive video content from one of uh, my partners that I have, maybe a couple of my partners that's only available on pay sites so that it's nothing you can find on YouTube or otherwise. Uh, we would watch the videos, perhaps stopping from time to time and then discuss it as a group. It's a great way to get great content, but also discuss it with other players who are serious about improving their game. Um, and I think this is going to help us also continue to build friendships and build relationships with people within the poker community. So all of these things are things that have been brought to me uh, either one-on-one -on -one or through social media by listeners as as some of their goals, some of the things they want to do. They want to build a poker tribe, a poker community that they can share ideas with. They want to get good content. Uh, they want to do it in a way that we can discuss things. So uh, I'm trying to answer the uh, the the heart of uh, some of you listeners out there. So if I can swing it, I'm looking at maybe even piloting this in October with at least one location, of course, in Minnesota. So sorry to those of you listening throughout the U.S. and in other countries, um, unless you're going to be in town. Um, but if you're in Minnesota and you want to do that, make sure you let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at Rec Poker, the Facebook group Rec Poker to stay updated or just send me an email, stevefredland at gmail.com and I'll, send, I'll uh, add you to the interest list. So that is going to be it for today. Thanks to Running Aces, great people, great staff, uh, great tournaments. Uh, if you could go to iTunes, like the podcast, comment, rate, review, subscribe, tell others. That's a huge, uh, huge thing for us. 
Uh, also, if you're willing to support this deal, patreon.com slash poker. If you want to wear a patch, let me know. If you want to get some merchandise, go to floptheworld.com slash poker. And otherwise, just feel free to reach out. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or whatever, uh, let me know. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for your patience as I iron out my strategy and uh, feel like I'm more convoluted than I was when I started, but I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel now uh, as I deepen my understanding of GTO and exploitive play and some of those things. So thanks for sticking with me. I will chat with you next week. Adios. Adios.